Beloved, I am one of your pastors, Mike Sherrod. It's been my privilege these last few weeks leading us through a little series called A Shepherding Community, expressing the heart and passion and desire of your leaders that increasingly we would be a people marked by a kind of shepherding care for one another. Our launching text this morning and in pre- previous weeks is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you join an organization, AAA, the Y, Costco, a sorority, a professional society, you are granted certain benefits of membership. The same is true when you become a member of a church. You are promised, along with that membership, certain blessings, privileges, or benefits of your membership. So based on what I just read, what do you see is one of the benefits of belonging to the flock of God? It is the shepherding care of the elders. Peter writes in verse 3 to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. You're the flock. Over time, you have elected men to shepherd you. It is a blessing, a privilege, a benefit to be shepherded by men in this flock. What happens when this is accomplished well? Not only do you receive care for your soul, not only uh, uh, do you have set before you examples of humble Christian character, we saw that a couple weeks ago, Peter is so intent on showing the way this is to be done so that you receive an example of humble Christian character, but there's also a trickle-down effect of shepherding done well creates a community where we all are privileged to shepherd one another. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that your elders are to equip the saints, you, for the work of ministry. And there is a tenor that runs through the New Testament that not only is there expectations of this kind of shepherding, humble leadership. 
But the way I read the New Testament, there's also an ethos that results of one anothering. We have the benefit, the privilege, the blessing of enjoying one anothering, praying for, loving, serving, encouraging, exhorting, etc. One anothering. So this community develops, emerges, blossoms, marked at least by faithful shepherding of the elders and done well, beloved. You can expect to see this trickle-down effect where we are shepherding each other. So to appreciate this fact, let's ask two questions of this text. Peter identifies Jesus as the chief shepherd. Where did he get his vision for this? Did he make this up? Is this some sort of invention of 60 AD? Peter deciding on his own that Jesus is the chief shepherd? Absolutely not. There are two primary sources from which Peter draws this beautiful, stunning image of Jesus as the chief shepherd. First of all, unsurprisingly, from the Word of God. Because God wants you to know Him, God wants to be known. He condescends to reveal Himself in ways you can understand, that you can relate to. And so God identifies ways you can, you can understand Him by pictures seen in everyday society. One of those is God as shepherd. Everybody in ancient times could immediately say, I know what a shepherd is. I see shepherds all the time. So Michael, when he led the service earlier, referred to, or maybe it was Callie, referred to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So you're supposed to connect from everyday experience the kind of careful, comprehensive, thoughtful, intensive, loving care a shepherd has for a sheep. Oh, so much more does God do that for me. One other example. We could go on and on and on. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He's God. It is He who made us. We are His. We're His people and the sheep of His flock. God is saying, I don't want you to find your identity in anything else apart from me as your God. I don't want you to find liberty of expression in anything else but under my sweet, glorious lordship. What a vivid reminder. We are not self-created. We belong to a person infinitely better and stronger than ourselves. I provided one more for you in the bulletin. It's from Ezekiel 34, just expressing God's personal, passionate, providing pursuit of you. I'll start reading in verse 15. I myself will shepherd my, flock, uh, my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the straight. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. God does this. If you know yourself to be a follower of Jesus... He has sought you. He has bound up your wounds. 
He has brought you to himself. He has made you your own. He has given you the gift of faith to receive his great promises. Why is this helpful? Because the image of God as your shepherd tells you so much about yourself as well as the nature of his care for you. What does the fact that God declares himself to be your shepherd say about you? You're prone to wander like all sheep. Sheep will hopelessly get themselves in trouble without the guiding care of the shepherd. There is, do you know this about yourself, a proclivity in your heart to self-rule. You crave autonomy. And this tends to get us in trouble. And we are, spiritually speaking, so it's often hard to realize the more successful you are in life, according to human measures, the more successful you are, it is more difficult to realize that spiritually you are helpless. You need care, protection, correction, and guidance. And that's God. So it's no wonder that when the Bible talks about sin, I'm thinking of Isaiah 53, verse 6, it talks about sin this way. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've insisted on being the arbiters of our own reality, captain of our own ship, master of our own feet. All we, like sheep, have gone our own way, each to his own way. We've gone astray. And against that, God reveals himself as a shepherd who promises to care for you in spite of that. And so his care is a relationship of commitment, concern, comfort, correction, compassion. And to make sure you understand that it's God himself who saves you from eternal judgment. God alone who rescues you, redeems you, who reconciles you, who ransoms you from eternal judgment. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and to destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. To make you right with God forever, Jesus Christ submitted himself to the horror of the cross. He laid down his life. That's not what shepherds do. They provide for sheep by staying in shape and watchful and alive and careful and active. The good shepherd saves you by dying, bearing the penalty of your sins in his body on the cross. Glory to God. What is this supposed to produce in you? It should produce tremendous confidence. Look, God's done for me what I could never do for myself. I'm safe. If God did it, he provides it. It's enough. Jesus says it's enough what he's done for you, and it should produce humility, beloved. Look at the cost of what Jesus paid to make you a safe sheep in God's flock forever. His horrendous suffering and death and, and affliction and alienation from his father on the cross. So you may be saying to yourself, what's the point of this? I'm a 21st century American. I've never seen a sheep. I've never seen shepherds. I can't relate to this. Oh, but you should. You see, everyone craves a shepherd. 
we're all, religious or not, looking for something or somebody to give protection and provision for our souls. We are looking in one degree or another for someone to rescue us from the danger of loneliness and significance, purposelessness, and the poverty of hopelessness and slavery to our passions. Beloved, you know your culture shepherding you. The media is shepherding you. Musicians are shepherding you. You know that, don't you? You're being shepherded. Janice and I, we constantly have the antennas up when we watch media for the lies, for the deception, for the inadequacies. Sometimes people in pop culture are brutally honest. Ted Turner, the powerful media mogul, was asked, what is it like having so much, being so powerful and so wealthy? And he said this, Life is a bag, and you spend years and years and years dumping things into it, and you finally stop, and you look in that bag, and it's empty. Thank you for your honesty. You see, if there is an emptiness in your soul, it could be you are being shepherded by those who ultimately don't love that soul and made that soul, and have made that soul righteous as Jesus Christ has. So we're asking the question, where does Peter get his vision of Jesus as the chief shepherd? From the Word of God, and secondly, duh, watching Jesus. He spent three years with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew that all these images of God as shepherd are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to dip into the Gospel of Matthew and look at two verses because one of them gives you a picture. There are many others we could have pulled out. One of them gives you a picture of the shepherding ministry of Jesus, Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. The good shepherd, Jesus, caring for people's physical needs and their spiritual needs, feeding them the truth of God's word and the gospel. What's so interesting is the very next verse gives you an insight into the very heart of Jesus that motivates him for all the shepherding. And it's this, Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Who would know better than the shepherd himself what sheep need. Now, in context, most commentators believe this harassed and helpless is due to the failure of Israel's teachers to care for the flock by teaching them the word of God and the gospel of grace. It's probably what's going on there. They're failing the people. The elders weren't instructing the people. But I want you to sit in this image for just a minute with me. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Take that beloved into your soul. Jesus notices what harasses you. 
Jesus cares about what ails you. Jesus does not despise your weaknesses and your helplessness. In fact, it's the very signal that draws him into your heart, your inability, your failure, your frustration, your sense of brokenness. This draws Jesus to you with an irrepressible mercy to help you. Newsflash, Jesus loves wayward feeble sheep. So if you ever believed, and believe now, I could never be saved. I've been too bad of a person. You're exactly the sheep Jesus will run after and claim for himself. He's the very shepherd you need. He protects, he feeds, he mends, he guides, he delivers, he gathers and think about what in Jesus' heart was so, was so meaningful for Jesus to see those who were helpless and harassed. What did Jesus know about helplessness and harassment? Well, these very crowds would be harassing him on his cross, jeering, physician, save yourself, mocking Jesus Christ himself knew human helplessness like no one ever has being nailed to the cross. That's helplessness, out of which is born the power of God to save you and deliver you from sin and judgment. So stunning that there's this shepherd who saves by laying down his life for the sheep. Second question. What's the first question? Where does Peter get his image of Jesus as chief shepherd? The word of God and watching Jesus. Say a lot more about that. The second half of the sermon is this. What are some evidences that we actually have a one another in community? What's the evidence your heart is being shepherded by the Lord Jesus, the elders of this church? What is that producing preeminently, beloved, based on our text, what does the experience of Jesus shepherding grace produce, according to the text? Begins with an H. Humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. It sort of begs the question, what does this humble heart look like in action? Or when humility is pulsing through the veins of Trinity Presbyterian Church, what will we see? What will you experience? What benefits will come home to you? And I'm just going to back up one chapter in chapter 4 and look with you briefly at verses 7 to 11 because Peter answers that question. The humble heart, the, the, the one anothering shepherding community is marked by prayer, love, and using gifts. So look at chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Have you ever been shepherded by somebody because they stopped and prayed for you? That, that ever happened to you? We want that happening constantly. 
If you would like to see your elders do this, come Thursday evenings at 7 o'clock in rooms 201, 202, because your elders take roughly the first hour of their monthly business meeting to focus exclusively on shepherding. We have a little devotional about shepherding. We break up into small little groups and pray for one another's needs, and we get back together as a group of shepherds and pray for the needs of you, the body. Your elders take seriously the privilege of praying for you. But what would happen if you became a person who was given this privilege of shepherding others, not least by praying for them? And it's not complicated. You see somebody after the service, hey, how you doing? Oh, fine. How could I pray for you? Oh, you could pray that, fill in the blank. Okay, let's pray. Or, how you doing? I'm really struggling. Oh, come here. Tell me a little bit about that because I want to pray for you. You don't don't need a 10-minute thing necessarily. And then pray for them. You will experience a shepherding triangle where your prayer or being prayed for brings you to the throne of grace and this person's words do something amazing in your heart. If you don't feel it, still believe it's true. One small way I try to shepherd people when I pray for them, and God, years ago, gave me a a love for praying for His people As I've mentioned before, I pray for a lot of you on a regular basis. When you pray for someone, you can start like this. Lord, thank you for Jackie Howard. She is precious in your sight. She's a trophy of your grace. She's so loved by you. You've worked mercifully in her life. See, I don't need any details but to know that Jackie Howard is a believer I can bless her heart reminding her of what is true as her status as a daughter of the living God. Presumably, that'll shepherd your heart. Okay? A praying community. Secondly, love. Peter writes in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That would imply it's easy to just go through the motions. Yeah? He wants intensity in this. It's easy to give up because we're going to give each other lots of reasons to stop loving each other. We just irritate people sometimes or we bore people sometimes or whatever it is. Keep loving each other earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Well, that's a whole other sermon. But just trust that there is a power given to people who know the love of Christ into whose hearts the Holy Spirit has brought the love of Jesus, there is a power to love that overlooks transgressions. This is stunning. Nowhere else in the world can you find this. That to know the love of Jesus for you in your heart, he's overlooked my transgressions. He's been patient with me. He daily bears my burden. Well, it is my privilege to bear the burdens of my brothers and sisters. Love is a verb. 
It is what you do because God has cared for you. A specific way Peter mentions is what? Show hospitality. Invite people to benefit from your resources. Give them a ride somewhere. Have them for a meal. Supply something. Time. Babysit. Whatever it is. A bountifully rich God shares all his resources with you, beloved in Christ. When that captivates your hearts, you'll part with the things he's given you to show hospitality to others. There's a wonderful definition of love in 1 Thessalonians 5. We looked at it a long time ago. And it's this, that always seek after that which is good for one another. That's love. Always seek after that which is good for one another. So in order to do that, you have to ask a question. And what is it? What's good for this person? In order to answer that question, you have to know what the Bible says is good for a person, and you need to know what they need. Because what is good for a person is going to depend on where they're living, what they're thinking, their circumstances, how they're suffering. It's going to depend on a whole lot of different things. But if you spend time with someone and you listen to them, they're invariably going to tell you how you can pray for them. Let me give you one question you could ask as you frame the opportunity to pray for somebody. And it would be this. Jenny, how are you enjoying the chief shepherd right now? David and Lynn, How are you enjoying the Lord Jesus Christ right now, thriving under his merciful hand as your good shepherd? And listen. And if we're transparent and honest as the gospel frees us to be, we could even be vulnerable with each other and say, you know, I I need this. Pray for them. Pray intelligently. How are you enjoying and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ right now? What is the hand of the good shepherd doing in your life? And you might find an answer to that stuff you need to work on. So after I pray for David and Lynn, they might stop and pray for me. Prayer. Finally, using your gifts for the edification of the body. He goes right on to say, Peter writes in verse 10, As each has received a gift, when you're converted, you receive the Holy Spirit and you receive spiritual gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. One of these one-anothering passages. A community of one-anothering, shepherding one another, serving for one another, praying one another, encouraging one another, loving one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory forever and ever. When the elders are shepherding well, there is a trickle-down effect. We become a community that shepherds one another. This is evidenced in how we pray for each other, how we love each other, and how we use our gifts. Now, how many of you are squirming a little bit where you are? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll tell you why you're squirming. Because your heart says, I would like to contribute in some way, but this is a really big church, and it seems like there's other people who can do that. 
Come on, anybody think that way? You can raise your hand on this if that's true. Look, of course it's that way. And who, a little, who am I, this little person, in the midst of this very talented body? What could I contribute? Well, God's given you a gift to use, and you may not know what it is. Tell you what happened several weeks ago. The Women's Council, man, they are thoughtful about what God's called them to do, prayerful about what God's called them to do, intentional about being a blessing to you alongside the elders, the deacons, and the staff. The Women's Council reached out to me and said, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense, us blessing this church, unless we know what our spiritual gifts are, right? Might come lead a little seminar on spiritual gifts. Done. We did it. Wasn't that wonderful? Each of the women wants to be moving in the way God has gifted them. They weren't sure necessarily where their gifts are. That's going to be true. At least half of you don't know what your gifts are. So we need to provide that for you at some point. But here's what you do, and I'll end on this. If you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are, simply ask a leader or look around the church for a need and go meet that need. Just go meet it. In the midst of that, you may discover, I'm not called to that. Or I can do that even though I don't have the gift for that. Or ask the Lord Jesus to show you in the midst of the church a place for you to edify this body according to gifts God has given you. Beloved, what will happen when that is happening robustly in this church family and we're praying for each other and we're loving each other? What will happen? All the glory will go to God because only God can do that. Let's pray to that end. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for their desire to pray. Thank you for the way they love each other. Thank you for the gifts you've given them and how we pray, you sovereign Lord Jesus, whose body and flock we are, you would bring to pass a time where everyone was using their gifts. Everyone was thriving because they knew the body was being edified by what they had to contribute Bring that to pass, and we will all say, to God be the glory through Jesus Christ our Lord forever and ever. Amen.